वसुदेवसुत कंसचाणुरमर्दनम परमानंदम कृष्णम वंदे जगद्गुरु an announcement i see that many of you i think all of all of you taking off your shoes you know that it's not necessary so if you i know some feel uncomfortable if they don't take off their shoes but if you are comfortable with it then you can come in with shoes just accept this prayer area you can sit there with shoes also that's all right so we are studying the second chapter of the bhagavad gita where sri krishna is giving the central teaching about the atman about the self what we really are this is maybe if this one thing that you can take away from the bhagavad gita it would be this one the teaching about the atman that we are this immortal spiritual being that old saying we think we are human beings in search of spiritual experience but the truth is that we are spiritual beings having a human experience so what have we learned so far sri krishna has said um verse 11 12 13 that the atman is immortal not subject to birth and death one very big teaching the body dies the atman you the self the atman does not die then the 16th verse even more stunning the atman alone is real the world of appearances this this world is a world of appearances including the body and even the mind they are not independent realities i will not explain we have gone through it in detail not being independent realities their reality depending on the atman this dependent reality another term for that is falsity or mithyatva so that was that's what we saw in the 16th verse the atman is not only eternal it is the only reality and the non atman the non self body mind and the rest of the world they are appearances in the atman then 17 uh 17th verse we saw the atman is if it's the only reality then whatever you experience must be the atman so it is all pervading the word used was sarvam idam tatam everything that you experience is pervaded by the atman contrary to what we normally think atman means the self come on in come uh the atman means the self but we normally think that there is something which is the non self that is other than me here we are taught that whatever you regard as other than you is in a deep sense nothing but you so the atman pervades everything the self pervades the not self uh that's the third thing we learned that was in verse number 17 another these are all each of them can take several lectures to you know to probe uh they are worth assimilating and they are all counterintuitive the 18th verse tells us the atman is not an object it's not an object 
Aprameya. Aprameya means not an object of knowledge. It's not something that you see, hear, smell, taste, touch. It's not something that you infer. It's not something that is an object of scientific inquiry or religious belief. Rather, it is the pure subject. It is not the object of knowledge. Rather, it's a subject. It is not something that is known. Rather, it is the knower. Knower, yes. And which has many ramifications. When you look at it that way, then uh, it first of all, it points out clearly what the Atman is or where it is. Where means within quotes. And why we cannot see it as an object. Then, um, then the next verse... 19th verse we saw that the atman is not an in, uh, not a doer of actions nor is it the experiencer of the results of actions in sanskrit akarta bhokta it's not the karta the doer the agent of action bhokta means the experiencer of the results of actions so the atman in itself is free of the law of karma free of karma cause and effect it's beyond causality so these are all Extraordinary claims and all counterintuitive. It's very, uh, it's natural for us to think that I've been, I'm born and I shall die. This seems to be the fundamental truth. And the first thing Krishna said that no, you're not born nor shall you die. You are immortal. Then the next thing which seems common to us is that um, here is a real, I don't know what I am, but the world here is very real. Just the opposite. You are the reality and the world is your appearance. Again, counterintuitive. I think, intuitively, I think I am here, small. A tiny part in a, a tiny speck in a vast universe. So limited in space, tiny, just here. So limited in time, born and dying. Neither limited in time nor limited in space. Counterintuitive, that you are the vast you are unlimited. Uh, all pervading. And then again, when it says that you are not an object of knowledge, we have a almost um, instinctive urge to objectify. Very understandable. Because everything that we have known in our lives and anybody has known in their life, there has been an object of knowledge. Either it's something that you have seen or heard or smelt or tasted or touched. Um, or it's something that you have thought of, remembered, conceived, uh, speculated about, proved, believed. They are all objects to consciousness. When you get what they are talking about, it's direct, it's, it's very intuitive, it, it's, it's very, uh, uh, very blindingly obvious. But until that time, um, we tend to keep, keep making this mistake. Whatever we are taught, we think it's some object which they are talking about. And in fact, I mentioned that once we begin to understand it's not an object, our reaction is, it doesn't exist then. Because everything that we have experienced as existing is an object. So we go into nihilism or um, emptiness, shunyata. No, the Atman does exist. It is you and it's not an object. It's not an object. But look at our language. Even the word it is an object word. It, <laughs> it, that. Then the next one. 
akatta bhokta what could be more natural than thinking of yourself as the doer of actions and we think of ourselves as i enjoy i suffer i am the uh, enjoyer i am the sufferer and he says no no you are not the doer nor are you the enjoyer or the sufferer then next 20th verse yeah so please chant after me najayate mriyate va kadachit najayate mriyate va kadachit nayam bhutva bhavita va na bhuya nayam bhutva bhavita va na bhuya अजो निशाश्वतम पुराण अजो निशाश्वतम पुराण न हन्यते हन्यम शरीर न हन्यते हन्यम शरीर सो द सेल्फ आत्मन रिमेम्बर वेन एवर यू टॉकिंग अबाउट द सेल्फ इट मीन्स यू you might because the mind is very tricky you know, i might end up saying yes i understand myself is wonderful but i have some problems self means you it the self is not born and it does not die at any time it does not again come into existence by being born it the self is birthless constant eternal and ancient it is not slain with the body is slain so this is the meaning of the verse as we go a little deeper into this it becomes very interesting um before i forget let me tell you that um, i was studying my copy of the shankara bhashya the commentary by shankara acharya so i found a note there in my handwriting so i don't know where i got it from it's not shankara who said that um it says you see in philosophy at least in indian philosophy punarukti is a dosha punarukti means repetition So if you say the same thing over and over again it's considered a fault you should not repeat something now here it seems to be a clear case of repetition it's not born it does not die one he says the same thing it's not that it was uh, existing and it died and then again came into existence that means being born and dying then again it says it is not born ajob unborn uh, it it is eternal does not die it is not killed when the body dies it does not die so it seems to be a case of three times repetition once it is said neither born nor dying second again and third again so the note which i found it said that it's not actually a case of repetition it is um pratigya hetu nigamana what does it mean in logic indian logic the way an argument is framed the way an argument is framed is um in a syllogism okay now i have to explain what a syllogism is those who are stud- um, in students of logic or philosophy you know that so the classic one in aristotelian logic when you say um all men are mortal the classic example socrates is a man therefore socrates is mortal so three statements the two are um, given to you and the third one you derive from it the first two are uh, all men are mortal 
Second one, Socrates is a man. And therefore, what do you derive from this? Socrates must be mortal. So this is called a syllogism, the form of the argument, the different forms of argument. Now this very thing in Indian philosophy, Nyaya, logic, this very thing is um, done in not in three parts, um, two premise, major premise, minor premise, and the conclusion. One, two, three, Socrates, uh, all men are mortal, Socrates is a man, and uh, Socrates is mortal. But in five parts. So in Nyaya philosophy in India, the syllogism has five parts. Um, the, f the first one is called Pratigya. Pratigya means that which is to be proved. Let me give an example. It will make things clear. The classic example, those who have studied Indian philosophy, you know that the classic example is there is fire on the hill because there is smoke. So you can see smoke. You don't see the fire. You see the smoke. It's not a hill here. Suppose there's a, there's a fire on, on, uh, on a skyscraper and the fire department, you know, clanging and the sirens uh, blaring, the fire department, uh, fire trucks go rushing by. They haven't seen the fire yet, but they see the smoke. Now, by seeing a sm you're seeing smoke, that is direct perception, and you are inferring, inferring fire. You know there is fire. How do you know? Did you see it? No. What did you see? Smoke. And you know that there is a connection between smoke and fire. With putting these two together, the seeing the smoke and the knowledge of smoke and fire go together, you, you infer that there is fire and then you go out to put it. So the classic example in Indian philosophy is Parvato Vanniman Dhumat. There is fire on the hill because there is smoke. Because I see smoke. So the first sentence is, what do you want to prove? I want to prove that there is fire on the hill. That is called the first sentence. That is called Hetu. That is called Pratigya. The thing to be proved. Then the second sentence is called Hetu. Uh, the second sentence is Hetu. Uh, Hetu means cause. Cause. What is the cause? Dhumat. Because of seeing fire. Because there is smoke. And why is this a cause? Um, it says, Yatra yatra dhumaha Yatra yatra Vannihi tatra tatra dhumaha. Wherever there is uh, fire, there is no. Wherever there is smoke, there is fire. Yatra yatra dhumaha tatra tatra vanni. Wherever there is smoke, there must be fire. So this is called vyapti. Vyapti is a Sanskrit word. This is a, if you translate it into English, it becomes even more complicated. It means invariable concomitance. Literally, it means two things go together. So if you see one, you are sure of the other. If you see smoke, you are sure of the fire. Not the other way around. There may be fire without smoke. So they give the example of, uh, today you might have a heater, for example, which is hot, but there's no smoke there. But there's smoke, there is fire. And then, peculiar to Indian, Indian logic, they have to give an example. They have to, you have to say, where did you see this? What, what, is a, what is an agreed upon example? So they will say, yatha mahana, say, as we saw in the kitchen. There's fire and smoke together. So this, this sentence is called Udaharana. How many have we got so far? Pratigya, thing to be proved. Second, Hetu, the cause. Third one, example, Udaharana. 
and there's a fourth one which is which need not concern us too much it's just a matching it just says as that case fire and smoke in the kitchen so also this case fire and smoke on the hill it must be a similar case otherwise you can't apply that's the fourth sentence there's a technical term for that and the last sentence why i'm saying this is a conclusion nigamana the last sentence is simply a restatement of the first sentence like in geometry proofs you do therefore in qed so therefore there is fire on the hill nigamana nigamana means conclusion the conclusion is just the restatement of the thing to be proved the first sentence now you have five sentences first one thing to be proved second one the reason thereof third one example fourth one matching the cases and fifth one is restating the thing to be proved which is conclusion now three of these are found here first one pratigya thing to be proved second one the reason and third one the conclusion so all of this reason i'm giving this little lesson in indian logic is i just found this little note today i don't know when i wrote it maybe years back or decades back it just says it just says one pratigya first quarter pratigya second quarter hetu third quarter nigamana hence no repetition that's what it says <laughs> so actually the three, three thrice it has been repeated here. same thing has been said neither born nor dies again neither born nor dies and again unborn and dying but um the first one is what they want to say second one is the reason therefore thereof and therefore conclusion thereof so that way all of it entirely useless just that i just found it so i thought it's interesting to share they had a lot of time on their hands i think all right so what does it say first it says the atman is not born nor does it die we have already seen this and then it says it's not as if having existed at some time then you died and then you are reborn again this is what is called ordinarily you know coming into being going out of existence and again coming back into being this is not true of the atman of you as pure consciousness and then a series of adjectives is used ajaha ajaha means the unborn one so because it does not it is not born the atman is not born with the birth of the body when the body is born it's not that you are born you existed before the uh, coming into being of the body so therefore you are your name is the atman's name is ajaha ajaha means the unborn one normally when we use the word unborn in english it means somebody who doesn't exist was, was never born but here it means somebody who exists all the time not does not come into existence by birth so the body is born but you are not born along with it you existed the next word used is nityaha the unchanging or eternal it means here in this case with the death of the body you do not die with the death of the body you do not die shashvataha um eternally unchanging literally means undecaying purana the word purana in sanskrit it means pura api nava 
though ancient, ever fresh. And then it, it says again, na hanyate hanyamani sharire, is not destroyed by the destruction of the body. What's going on here is, um, the, the Sanskrit lexicographer, you know what that is? Dictionary, those who compile lists of words. Um, uh, the, the Sanskrit lexicographer Yaska, who lived, I think, more than 2000 years ago. So he's compiled one of the first dictionaries of the world. And he is well known for compiling this set of six changes. He says, worldly things, especially our body, it undergoes six-fold changes. In Sanskrit, Shadvida Vikara, six-fold changes. What are the six changes? Change number one, um, birth, jayate, birth. Change two is a bit peculiar. Having been born, it comes into existence. If you think about it, it sounds a strange way of putting it, but actually if you think about it, it is quite correct. That which was not there is now there. So that's a change, right? So it's called asti, jayate, born, asti, comes into existence, vardhate, grows, grows. So a baby, a kid, a, a little boy or girl, a teenager, grows. Then the fourth one is viparinamate, matures and keeps on changing in middle age, reaches a plateau of development. And then apakshiyate, degenerates, ages. Hits 40. <laughs> so goes downhill. Uh, degenerates. Body starts decaying. And then finally, Nashyati. Dies. Destroyed. So these are the six-fold changes according to Yaska, the ancient uh, lexicographer. Six-fold changes you would expect of a body. Now what has happened here is if you look carefully, these terms are used to deny those six changes of you, the Atman. So by saying ajaha, unborn, it denies that, it denies the first change, birth. And then nityaha, it denies the, um, the last change, death. Nitya means eternal, it does not die. So it denies the last change, death. Then shashvata, the undecaying, it denies the uh, fifth change, decay. Purana, ever fresh. It does not become, it does not grow as such. It is eternally fresh. So, Purana means it denies the uh, third change. That is, uh, Vardhate, grows. So, and it, it's already said, uh, and the in-between change, that it matures and remains at a steady state for some time. The last one, Na Hanyate Hanyamane Sharire, um, here a little bit of uh, magic is done with grammar Shankaracharya the commentator he says the verb hanyate han can also represent change so it means it's a denial of the um, the fourth change that is the plateau it reaches a certain viparinamati reaches a certain uh, level of development and remains there for some time and um, the second one, that not having existed comes into existence. Not being there comes into existence. That has already been denied by the third quarter. That it was not that it was not there and came into existence by birth. So my point is, 
what this verse is doing though it looks like repetition what this verse is doing it denies the sixfold changes common to the body it denies those sixfold changes of the atman yes Oh, okay. <laughs> In Advaita Vedanta, no difference. Atman literally means the self, you. And Brahman, if you look at the uh, derivation, literally the word bringer, the, the root means the vast. It means the vast. Now, why use two words if they mean the same thing? The reason is, when you look into yourself, the reality that you discover, I am what I am really, which is what we are talking about. That is called Atman. Atman literally means self, the essence. And if you l- investigate this universe, the reality that you discover, the reality of the vast, is called Brahman. And the conclusion of Advaita Vedanta is both of them are the same thing. Atman is Brahman. If you want to know Advaita Vedanta in one sentence, it's that Atman is Brahman. The great Mahavakyas, the profound sentences tat tvam asi that thou art that thou art means that brahman thou the atman you are that aham brahmasmi i am brahman even more direct i the atman am brahman pragyanam brahma this very awareness which you have correctly understood and appreciated is none other than the ultimate reality brahman this awareness means you what you find yourself Inside what we find, look when we look inside what we find ourselves to be, the Atman, that is actually Brahman. And another line from the Mandukya, I am Atma Brahma, again more direct, very direct. This very self is the ultimate reality, Brahman. So Atman and Brahman are the same reality. This is the central teaching of the of non-dual Vedanta. And if this is appreciated, understood, and realized, it's enough to set you free. Spiritual freedom, moksha, nirvana, whatever you call it. This realization is enough. Why would this set us free from limitation, suffering, death? I'll give you a pointer. You can mull over it and see what, what it means to you. That we are sentient beings. We are awareness. There's no, there's no doubt about it, right? Nobody has any doubt that that you are a thinking, feeling, knowing, aware being. Are you with me? Yeah, this is most important. But if you don't take this first step, next will not make any sense. I need to know that you are on the same page. Or you look confused. What are you talking about? Are you aware? And I mean aware in a very general sense. Are you a thinking, feeling, uh, desiring, hating, loving being? Are you aware? Is there consciousness there? Yes. One. Two, the problem, the human problem, put in its most general and fundamental form is that this consciousness which we find ourselves to be is a very limited consciousness. By limitation I mean we are subject to death, we are subject to old age, we are subject to disappointment, we are subject to desiring without fulfillment. We have any number of limitations. This is the problem. Point number two. Point one, I am consciousness. Point two, it's a very limited, disappointing consciousness. Are you with me so far? Would you agree with me that this is one way of stating the human problem? 
It's like, what is he talking about? My problem is the traffic on the way back from, and I'm worried about Lincoln Tunnel. That is limitation. That is limitation. That's what I'm talking about. Any practical problem in your life, that's limitation. So that's the second thing. What solution Advaita Vedanta provides here is when you say Atman is Brahman, you know what they're trying to say. This very consciousness that we know ourselves to be, you know yourself to be, this is unlimited consciousness. This consciousness is not subject to the limitations we think it is subject to. And to educate us into the nature, the real nature of ourselves, that's what Advaita Vedanta is doing. I'll repeat, three points. Freedom and enlightenment in three points. One is we are conscious beings, we are conscious. Second, it's a very limited, disappointing consciousness. Third, we are wrong. It's not a limited, disappointing consciousness. It's actually infinite, unlimited consciousness. There is no problem at all. That's what Advaita Vedanta wants to show us. That's the meaning of Atman is Brahman. If you don't seem convinced, then you have to keep coming to the class. That's what Krishna is telling Arjuna continuously. All these things. What did he say? You, the conscious being Arjuna, you don't die. First thing he said. You are the only reality. The entire universe is an appearance in you. Second thing. Atma Satyam Jagat Mithya. Third thing. You pervade everything that you experience. You are not a tiny spark of tiny spark of consciousness in a vast uncaring universe. Rather, the entire universe that you experience is within you the experience. Even in the language that I'm using, if you notice carefully, entire universe which you experience. You pervade it all. You are the vast. You are not tiny. Number four. What was number four? The Atman is, it's not an object. It's not an object. Aprameya, it's not an object of knowledge. And that has many ramifications. And so on. It's not a doer, not an sufferer. And now it is saying, this 20th verse is saying, the Atman is not subject to the six-fold changes which the body is subject to. That's what it just said. If somebody says, I mean, you're too polite to say it, but somebody might object that these adjectives, you are just fitting them into the six-fold changes. That you, uh, Shashvata, Purana, how do you know that it is denying the second change or the third change or something like that? Well, you take your complaints to Shankaracharya. I've got the uh, interpretation from Shankara's commentary on the Bhagavad Gita. All right. Having said this, 21st verse. Veda vinashinam nityam Veda vinashinam nityam Yainam ajam abhyayam Yainam ajam abhyayam Katham sa purusha partha Katham sa purusha partha Kam ghata yati hantikam Kam ghata yati hantikam whom, O Partha, can that person who knows this self, Atman, to be imperishable, constant, birthless and immutable, slay or cause to be slain? And how? So this is the verse. Remember the language of slaying and cause to be slain is because the context is the battlefield. It basically means action. How can this pure, unchanging consciousness 
be a doer of actions? How can it be an agent of action? That's what he's asking. It starts with a word, Veda. Know this. Very important. What is the method of Advaita Vedanta? What are we supposed to do? Veda here means to know, to realize. The whole point of spirituality according to Vedanta is to realize. Realize the teaching. As against what? Are you supposed to believe? Are you supposed to meditate or pray or go on pilgrimages or uh, subscribe to a particular faith or church? Uh, What we normally associate with religion. What Vedanta says is all of those may be useful and helpful, but that's not the point. The point is use all of that to realize this truth. As Swami Vivekananda said, each soul is potentially divine and the goal is to manifest this divinity already within us. Do it by meditation, do it by service, do it by love, uh, do it by knowledge. In fact, he said do it by philosophy. Do it by philosophy by one or more or all of these and be free. So that is the purpose of religion. And then he goes on to say books, temples, doctrines and churches are secondary details. So this realization which sets you free, this is, this is the whole purpose of Vedanta and I dare say of all spirituality everywhere. Bible says know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Basically this thing, realization. Notice I'm making a slight distinction between knowledge and realization. It's not just knowing it. Because you can claim, now I know it. Now I know it. I attended the class, I read the book. I even memorized the verse. I downloaded the talk. So now I know it. I spent countless hours uh, on, on YouTube. So now I know it. So am I free? Am I enlightened? No, what remains is this knowing, while important, has to be deepened into realization, which is first-person experience. I must be honestly able to claim, not that the Atman is immortal, Atman is real, the Atman is all-pervading, no. I am immortal. I am the reality of which the universe is an appearance. I must be honestly able to claim this, to see this. Not claim it just as a, as a slogan, but actually to see it. So the, there the knowledge has been um, assimilated into realization. Swami Vivekananda says, you know, tell yourself again and again that I am that, I am that Atman. Till that this thing it tingles with every drop of your blood. Till it becomes a living reality. It's not brainwashing. It is something that you have understood it must be converted into a living reality. Just as we, without any doubt, think that we are bodies right now. At that time, we, without any doubt, we will see ourselves as an unlimited immortal consciousness. The spirit, not the body. So that is realization. And that can be done. The Vedanta process is, Shravana Manana Nididhyasana. You listen to this, study it. Step one. Step two, think it through. Every possible doubt, one has to stay with it for some time and see what doubts come up. I have seen with long-standing students, 
questions begin to crop up. The answers to which has been given. I mean, every other class we give the answers actually. But it's try the question first comes after a long time. Then only the answer makes sense. That is the process of mananam. In fact, there's a deeper process of mananam that is reflection, where you try to live your life according to what you have studied. Where you try to live your life according to what you have studied. In that process, there will be struggle. And in that struggle, that is basically spiritual practice. Things fall into place. When you stay with that insight, this is called the third stage meditation, nididhyasanam. That leads to the moment of awakening where you see it is so. It has always been so that I am this unlimited consciousness. So this all this is meant by the word Veda. Realize the, yourself as this. It's already there. You are already this. You have hypnotized yourself into... We have hypnotized ourselves into believing that we are these little bodies, little cages of flesh and bone. Swami Vivekananda again and again he would say, if only you knew yourselves as you are, as you really are. What would happen if, if, that hap if, if we knew ourselves as we really are? All our problems would be solved. Not that at, at the physical level, at, at the practical level. If you become enlightened, uh, um, would it solve the problem of getting a ticket on, on your car in, in the wrong parking? No. You'd still have to pay the ticket. But the deepest problem, this problem of uh, very human existence, that is solved. You know yourself as beyond all problems. Hmm. Veda, you realize yourself. As what? Again a series of adjectives is given. Avinashinam, indestructible. Nityam, eternal. Ajam, unborn. Abhyayam, undecaying. You see, again those changes are negated here. If you are Avinashi, you are not subject to death. Uh, if you are Nitya, here it means undecaying. You are not subject to the fifth modification, old age and decay. If you are ajam, unborn, clearly you are not subject to the modification called birth. Abhyaya, you are not subject to uh, the modification called growth or development. You are, you are one unchanging. Such, Sapurushad, such a consciousness. How can such a consciousness engage in action or reap the results of action? It leads to the question then who engages in action? It is this consciousness alone. There is nobody else who engages in action. It is this consciousness alone, forgetting its true nature, identifying with body and mind, becomes the jiva, the sentient being, who engages in action and suffers the results of action. Are you alright so far? Well, yes. Krishna keeps telling Arjuna he needed to fight. He's not the doer. Right. So he will keep, he'll come back to the same conclusion again. So if you are not the doer... The action will continue. At the level of body and mind, everything will continue as the world continues. It's not that. Uh, when What you have to realize is, even though acting through body and mind, you are truly the untouched, uh, non-acting consciousness. Right? That is what has to be realized. He is not telling you, that's what Arjuna wanted to do. You know, He wanted to give up all this and go away to the mountains and meditate and be a mendicant, a beggar. He says, no, that's not the way. That is also being trapped in action. He will tell later on. 
Giving up action is not attaining to the state of the non-doing consciousness. The non-doing consciousness is always there, even in the midst of intense action. The most intense action can go on and you realize you are, not, you are the consciousness which does not do anything. Many examples can be there. Imagine a screen on which a movie is being played. In the movie, intense action is going on. It could be an adventure or something like that, you know. There could be storms or a fire or something. Tremendous action is going on. Yet from the point of view of the screen, nothing is happening. Another example. Imagine your dreams. Recall your dreams. Imagine a dream which was a really happening kind of dream. Lots of things happened. Yet you can claim with absolute honesty when you wake up, what can you claim? Nothing happened. Nothing really happened. Because that was not actually from the point of view of the waker, none of those things happened. In the dream it did happen, but when you wake up from out of it, you realize it didn't happen. Analogously, can you imagine yourself to be that light in which all of these things appear, work out, play out, and disappear back again? From the point of view of the light, nothing has happened. To Brahman, it does not matter. From, the, from, from Brahman's point of view, from the point of view of pure being, it really does not matter. It matters from society's point of view. It matters at this level. You know, all these non-dual teachings, they talk about two truths. An absolute truth and an apparent truth. Apparent truth or transactional truth. So, for example, right now we are sitting here and, and studying Vedanta. Uh, what level is this? It's apparent truth. Transactional truth, it's called Vyavaharika, transactional truth. And at the level of transactional truth, all of it works. There is causality, there is karma, there is good, there is evil, there are things to be done. Things can get better, things can get worse. And the solution proposed by Advaita Vedanta is, identify yourself with the absolute and act in the relative. You cannot not act in the relative. What will you do with this body and mind even when you realize that you are Brahman? What will you do? Right now what you are doing is I do not know myself as that infinite awareness. I know myself as a very limited conscious being and I am trying to do the best I can. This is our life right now. What they are proposing is if you investigate we will show you how you are that unlimited awareness not affected by birth and death not affected by the vicissitudes of life. And yet you're in the midst of life. Now that's a very enjoyable position. Enviable position also. When you know you're perfectly safe, then you can play the game to the hilt. In fact, then um, uh, an ethical, moral life becomes possible. What have you got to be afraid of? What can tempt you? What can, what can scare you? Nothing. The consequences of that... You're asking about why should one act then? The consequences of that one good way of understanding is if you look at people you consider to be enlightened. What did they do with their lives? And you'll get a wide range, uh, array of answers. If you look at Raman Maharshi, he sat in a cave. Though he, his very presence was a blessing. There have been enlightened people whom nobody has known about. They have disappeared from society without people knowing about them. On the other hand, there have been enlightened people who led lives of tremendous activity and whose blessings we are counting now. 
the the great teachers of religion the great um, uh, leaders of social reform many of them were spiritual masters and uh, they readily sacrificed their lives because they found something that was eternal for them it did not matter uh, this little life they found an oneness with everything so our suffering became their suffering and they wanted to help us out of it therefore he says therefore fight therefore do your duty knowing the reality of yourself to be this now do you, do thou your duty in arjuna's case it was fighting the good fight uh, in in our case we have our little battlefields each of us does that address your question yeah realize yourself to be this center yourself in this realization then act you say why act at the level of the body mind what else can you do yes so acting at the body and mind level yes moral and ethical life to the to the best uh, best level that is possible yes <laughs> that's perfectly all right yes right true and this is our this is uh, you're speaking say so this is our experience you would feel that this is how it's going to be at the beginning it may seem to be like that but very soon you will see it is not so because somewhere deep inside is a feeling that i am this being and i'm trying to get hold of a theoretical absolute so i keep slipping back into what i am very soon it will change into i am the absolute i keep slipping back into habitual patterns of activity habitual thought patterns very soon you will see all our slipping our mistakes are because of past conditioning it will be a very interesting but a very um, a difficult phase where what will happen is you are clear about this that i am the unchanging consciousness no longer theory you see this is this has to be the truth and yet in life there is a struggle and the struggle you will see is not because somehow i become the body mind no you will see at uh, even when i think i'm the body mind and i act accordingly even then i am not the body mind but i am acting due to strong past conditioning that deconditioning process takes time but before that what vedanta says is that breakthrough is essential what vedanta tries to do is the breakthrough see there are two ways to it one is the way of conventional uh, the way the, the conventional spiritual way is lot of spiritual practice yes you are the body mind you are this person now try to be an unselfish person try to be a truthful person try to be a disciplined person try to meditate twice a day pray thrice a day or whatever um have devotion um do good to others so all these spiritual practices they continue as what what are you 
I am this person. What are these spiritual practices doing from the point of view of Vedanta? They are preparing you for this insight. But a time will come when through these conventional spiritual practices one makes a breakthrough and you have that insight. Clearly, suddenly there is a shift. And the reference of the I, when I say I, it refers to body-mind, it changes. It refers to that witness consciousness, that unlimited consciousness we are talking about. You see, it must be so. Once it has changed, then those practices will still continue. You are still not a fully enlightened being. Those practices will still continue. But they are more like expressions of the truth. What you have found yourself to be, you see, this is the wise way of living. No longer to find this truth. You found it already. Now to establish yourself in that truth, you will see to act contrary to ethics, to act contrary to spiritual practices will, will seem contrary to what you have found. You have found yourself to, the, to be the witness consciousness, immortal, the only reality, and to act out of impulse, out of anger, out of hatred, will seem very contrary to what you have found. Still you will keep on, that slipping will keep on happening. Why? Because the mind is conditioned. But less and less and less so. This is called the path of Jnana Yoga. Difficult one. But this is also called the direct path. Every other path, path is indirect. Yes. Yes. Yes, that is true. Of course, right. There is only one reality, according to Advaita Vedanta, one non-dual reality. Did you did you notice in the sixteenth verse it says the Atman is the truth or is a reality, and the world is an appearance. It means it's a non-dual reality. That means there is no other reality. Not that there are many Atmans floating around. There's only one, that, that one consciousness in which the universe appears. Right. Are we all one or different? In the 13th chapter, uh, Krishna will say, you are that consciousness other than body and mind. How many consciousnesses are there? He says there is only one consciousness here. One immortal consciousness and know me to be that consciousness. Me means God. So in that one half of verse he answers two questions. How many Atmans are there or how many pure consciousnesses, how many spiritual realities are there? One. And the second question is what is God in all of this? God is that spiritual reality. You will say then you are saying I and God are one and the same? Yes, that's what it is saying. Mm, but I not as this individual limited being in your nature as true spiritual nature as the unlimited consciousness. That is what is God in Advaita Vedanta. In that sense, think about it. You are actually experiencing God right now. In every thought, in every feeling, in every experience of life, the material which you are experiencing is, is nothing other than the divine itself. Only under the limitation of our ignorance. 
then the 22nd verse this is another of those verses which are chanted when somebody passes away somebody dies very famous verse from the bhagavad gita it says that uh, as we go from death from life to death to other lives it's like changing a suit of clothes you, as you give up old clothes and put on a fresh uh, suit of clothes exactly like that we give up give up old bodies decaying bodies dead bodies and go on to new bodies 22nd vasam sijirnani yatha vihaya vasam sijirnani yatha vihaya navani grinhati naroparani navani grinhati naroparani tatha sharirani vihaya jirnan tatha sharirani vihaya jirnan anyani sanyati navani dehi anyani sanyati navani dehi just as a person gives up worn out clothes and puts on other new ones even so does the embodied self give up decrepit bodies and enter other new ones so it's a well known doctrine of the gita of vedanta that we go through many lives now what is this going through many lives what exactly happens krishna says birth and death are nothing other than exchanging bodies one body falls apart and you go on to get another body so the example he gives is of um clothes clothes are old or torn so you discard them and buy new clothes friday sale what a black friday black friday yes black friday sale so go and buy new ones so god also has a black friday sale sometimes you go and pick up new ones except that in this case you are doing it consciously uh, in our in our own lives it's done by the law of karma we do not have conscious control over it what bodies we come into when they will end and what new bodies we will get it's all determined by cause and effect everything that is happening now is an effect of which there are causes and every cause that is set into motion will give rise to certain effects now a little bit of basic vedanta bodies when you speak about bodies from a vedantic perspective there are three bodies not one you have three bodies one body is this physical one the public one which the doctor can check the one which you which you sitting on the chair this one this is called gross body not that not in the american sense of gross physical meaning physical though it can be pretty gross if you <laughs> especially if you uh, cut it open and see what's inside it can be pretty gross but gross body means physical body uh, in sanskrit sthula sharira body number 1 second body subtle body sukshma sharira it doesn't mean a particularly slim body it means it means what you are experiencing right now if you ask what's the proof for the subtle body Phys- proof for the gross body or physical body there's no need to uh, ask this question everybody knows it exists here it is but what is the proof of the subtle body again the you ex- uh, you experience it all the time thoughts feelings emotions uh, all of that all the first person experiences about yourself the person you experience yourself to be that's the subtle body so why call it a subtle body 
Why not? Why isn't it a part of the gross body? It is not. No scientist till now has been able to discover how, you know, for, for a scientist, the physical body ends at the brain, at the neurons. That's it. How that translates into a mind, thoughts, feelings, emotions, memories, clearly they are linked. But how? Nobody knows. I mean, many of you are studying biology, neuroscience, philosophy. Tell me, is, is that, does anybody know? No. It's an amazing thing. Something that we experience all the time. That's our life. What's our life? Thoughts, feelings, emotions, desires. Um, the way we are experiencing it inside. That's how we live our lives. We do not experience life as uh, secretions from the kidney and the electrical movements in the brain. We do not. There's no doubt that it's happening in the body. No doubt about it. Science has investigated it in great detail. And all the physical systems of the body, definitely, enormous amount of knowledge we have. We experience none of it. What we experience inside, each of us right now, the first person experience, what are technically called qualia, subjective experiences, that's what is called the subtle body. There is good reason to call it a separate body. There's, there's, there, by your very observation, the two are of different nature. You can clearly see this physical body and what it feels like from inside, two different things. Think a thought, 2 plus 2 is 4, or my name is Swami Sarvapriyananda, that's a thought. And touch this physical body. These are two different things entirely. So subtle body, sukshma sharira. What is the subtle body then? Physical body we know it's made of uh, uh, hands and feet and legs and we know organs and organ systems and cells and so on. What's the subtle body? What are the parts of the subtle body? Vedanta says there's a, there are different ways of classifying. There are actually 19 parts to it. 19 parts. Uh, the five sense organs, not the physical organs. They are parts of the physical body. But the powers, the experiences you get of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching... Five sense organs, five motor organs, and what you call the five vital functions, pancha prana. That makes five plus five plus five, fifteen. And then four parts of the mind. Mana, buddhi, chitta, hankara. The mind itself, memory, the function of egotism or ego, and intellect. So these are the four. Together, 19 parts, this comprises the subtle body according to Vedanta. There are different ways of classifying. Some make it um, 17. Um, the Buddhists have a different way of classifying it and so on. But it's there. All Indian philosophies acknowledge that you are a subtle body inside a physical body. Um, and there is a third one, according to Vedanta, third one, only figuratively called a body. It's called the causal body. Not casual body. Causal body. The causal body is that barrier of which transforms you, the infinite consciousness, Brahman, into this individual being. That, what could that be? It's just ignorance. It's called ajnana. Ignorance of our real nature. It's called the causal ignorance that itself is taken as a body. It comes as a first covering or sheath. Then it's covered over by the subtle body. Then it's covered over by the physical body. Why am I saying all this? At death, it's the physical body which dies. 
which is discarded like an old pile of clothes. The subtle body continues. Subtle body is not born with birth, is not, it does not die with death. It curls up into a little seed and then goes on until it finds another physical body where it can express itself. So that's the idea. You, what about you the Atman? You are pure consciousness. You neither come or not go. You have identified, Atman has identified itself with so many causal bodies and subtle bodies. So it becomes millions and billions of what are called jivas, sentient beings. And each of these jivas gets different physical bodies and lives out its life, does karma, gets the result of karma. And the result of karma is expressed in newer and newer physical bodies. So this is the cosmic game which is going on. Actually you are the infinite consciousness. You are, none of, you are not the three bodies. You are not the causal body, you are not the subtle body, you are not the physical body. At death physical body dies, it is exchanged for new physical bodies. They need not be human. Black Friday say lots of different kinds of bodies are available. <laughs> we go from life to life means from physical body to physical body. But we go means what goes? The subtle body goes. And the causal body also travels. These two travel together. Causal body is a technical point. We do not take it, um, we do not concentrate upon it. But the subtle body is something that we all experience. Right now we are experiencing it. Yes. Ah, this is a very good question. So what is freedom? What is moksha? What is not moksha? This kind of existence is not moksha. So death is obviously not moksha. Death is not freedom. Because you still exist as a person. And you will go on. So in um, death, you do not die with death. You go on and you are existing as a person. It's not good news. Uh, in, from from uh, Vedantic, not only Vedantic, all Indian schools. It's not good news. It's the bad news actually. <laughs> you don't stop at death. We have existed earlier. We'll keep on existing as long as you want to. As long as you are having a good time, God says, go on, have a good time. And you say, no, I've had enough. <laughs> I want to go back to my real nature. Then spiritual life starts for you. You get the bulletin of the Vedanta Society that there's a Gita class. Uh, yes. No, let me complete that uh, answer to that question. So then what happens at moksha? You see, these questions and answers, they are not for one person. So when one person is asking a question, don't switch off. Listen to the question and listen to the answer. Often the answer may be effective for you and not even for the person who asked. So the question is, what happens at moksha then? What, what are we aiming for? At moksha, the subtle body, which has been getting many, many uh, newer and newer bodies, physical bodies. That subtle body is also dissolved. It, it's also made of nature. Physical bodies are made from nature. Five elements. Subtle bodies are also material. It's very interesting. Vedanta would actually agree with science. Vedanta would say, yes, even the mind is material. But what is not material is, is the Atman, consciousness. It's an entirely different kind of reality. So that remains by itself, or you can say more figuratively, the individual being, the sentient being, merges back into the Absolute. But really there's no merging back. You are the Absolute, and you realize yourself at the Absolute. You wake up from this dream, or sequence of dreams. That's what happens. And when that happens, that is called enlightenment. But that subtle body in which the enlightenment has happened, 
that will continue for a little while because of past karma, then you call that being an enlightened being. So that person becomes an enlightened master, enlightened teacher. And those are the, from Vedantic perspective, they are the teachers of religion. They are the, the great spiritual masters of humanity. Yes. Yes, I'm not including the causal body here, it'll complicate matters. And the causal body is something that Vedanta talks about more. But the subtle body is easily understandable. So the subtle body will continue until the, the karma which gave rise to this particular embodiment, until that is over, the physical body dies. Remember, all our physical bodies, not just enlightened beings, all these physical bodies we have, they are produced by our past karma, and so they will live as long as that particular portion of karma which has produced this body. When that is exhausted, this body will die. But a lot of karma is accumulated. Our balances are not empty. So they will produce newer karma. And new karmas we have added to it in this life. So what are people seeing when they see visions of the saints or the great ones? Well, some might retain. There are certain ones... Uh, who retain their subtle bodies even after enlightenment. It's possible. They are the ones who are called eternally perfected ones. Uh, they exist. The bodhisattvas. Or Sri Ramakrishna is to talk about nitya siddhas. But the general form of the problem, you know, mathematics is the general form of the problem is this. Uh, you get free once enlightenment, once there's enlightenment. Um, at the death of that enlightened person, the death of the enlightened person means death of the physical body, and with that, the dissolution of the subtle body. Again, I'm not making this up. The Upanishads speak about it that it says, just as the rivers run into the sea, the very poetic description of the of the passing of an enlightened one, as the rivers run into the sea and merge and become one with the sea, so also the 19 parts of the subtle body of this enlightened one, they run back into the vastness of nature and become one with it. The enlightened one remains as Brahman, as pure consciousness. Yes. Then that means that the three bodies, all of them are uh, material. After all of them are material, yes. And uh, everything that has a name and a form is material. It's material, yes. Okay. Right. And if you're interested, you can split these three bodies. This is again basic Vedanta. You can split or you can analyze these three bodies into the five sheets. We have often talked about the five sheets. The food, the food sheet, the physical body, the vital sheet, the mind sheet, the intellect sheet, and the bliss sheet. In Sanskrit, Annamaya Kosha, Pranamaya Kosha, Manomaya Kosha, Vijnanamaya Kosha, Anandamaya Kosha. Can you match them with the three bodies? The food sheet is the physical body, gross body. So food sheath, Annamaya Kosha, is the physical body. Then the subtle body has three sheets in them. Pranamaya, Manomaya, Vijnanamaya. That's the subtle body, the second body. The third body is the causal body. That is the Anandamaya Kosha. So the five sheets, as if there are five coverings to the Atman. You can imagine it that way. Like nesting dolls. <laughs> The five coverings to the Atman, you are none of them. So, in Sanskrit or in Hindi, when the Vedanta teachers, they say, all of this which I am saying, they would say it in half a phrase. Sharīratraya vilakshana, panchakosha vilakshana, satchidānanda atma, 
तुम हो महाराज दे विल से यू सर आर द प्योर कॉन्शियसनेस प्योर बीइंग प्योर ब्लिस नॉट द डिस्टिंग्विश्ड फ्रॉम द थ्री बॉडीज डिस्टिंग्विश्ड फ्रॉम द फाइव शीट्स यू आर दिस इमोटल बीइंग येट राइट नाउ यू आर एग्जिस्टिंग एम्बॉडिड एंड दैट्स फन once you realize what you are you, you have this uh, um, nice vehicle to drive around cool vehicle <laughs> yeah it's not just a, sh- a suit of clothes it's a very sophisticated suit of suit of clothes it can do so many things many apps hmm? it's 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 a very very sophisticated iphone that you have got that god has given you are all these bodies technically maya all of them are maya correct they are all products of maya and technically they are all brahman is it this way brahman if brahman is the only reality that exists then all of these are also brahman it's because of maya it appears to be not brahman the eternal appears to be the the changing huh. the pure consciousness appears to be non conscious object that that which is pure bliss appears to be a, a life of sorrow and misery in between is maya the veil of maya Eliot yes i'll come to you bill eliot put it so beautifully he says the wasteland i think in between the intention and the act the doer and the deed in between the intention and the act falls the shadow the shadow is maya yes we'll end with bill's question yes Hmm. You can fit in the plug in the bits very easily. The question was: Suppose an enlightened person is to have a stroke and loses uh, his or her mind. How do you fit it into the picture? Now analyze that question. The enlightened person: What does the person think of uh, himself or herself to be? Pure awareness. Pure awareness, not having a brain or nervous system, cannot have a stroke. That's number one. as awareness itself you cannot have a stroke what what would have a stroke there are no moving parts to <laughs> have a stroke okay the brain can have a stroke it can and as a result lose its functionality the beauty of advaita vedanta is it does not contradict science in any aspect neither physics nor medical science those areas are left untouched what medical science says about the brain and the body that ex- that's exactly what will happen if there is a stroke in the body but internally the person is aware in fact i can tell you an actual example swami ranganathanand ji who was the 13th president of the order i have heard from his sevak who is his assistant young monk that when maharaj towards the end of his life he suffered from the stroke which left him partially paralyzed the day the, the moment he suffered from that stroke that young swami he told me that it's very clear for us to He was sitting there in the room. Remember, this is a 95-year-old monk. He looks at me and he says, "Call the doctor. Something is happening in my brain." And so they called the doctor, and then the stroke happened, and a part of the body was paralyzed, and they had to go to physio. Luckily, they were able to save him and physiotherapy, and he regained most of the act. Still, there was a tremor in the hand and all of that. And all it did was it increased his curiosity about the brain, and he read <laughs> books about the brain, and he would later explain it to you in great detail what exactly happens in the brain when there is a stroke. 
What about you, Swami? Oh, I'm fine. <laughs> Swami Shivananda, the dead disciple of Sri Ramakrishna, um, when he was very ill, he also had a stroke and he was partially paralyzed. When people came to meet him in Belurmat, in the main monastery, he was the president of the order. Um, Swami, we heard, how are you feeling now? He said, oh, I'm fine. He said, no, Swami, we heard about this. Oh, you mean the body. Oh, it's not at all good. It's very bad. It's <laughs> <laughs> and they're not being funny. It's, and it's not very difficult either. When you make the shift, clearly, it's not, it's not you don't have to pretend to be not affected. You can clearly see there is something which is not at all affected, absolutely not affected. And there is something which is affected. And the two are not equally real. That which is not affected is real. That which is affected, you can say it's a tiny part or it's just an appearance. Vedanta would say it's just an appearance in the non-affected real. So that's a good point to end it on. All it says, I mean, it sounds very easy, all it says is you have to notice it. It's there for the noticing. <laughs> Even if you cannot Manifest it in your actions right now. Even if you say, I slip, I fall, doesn't matter. Even if you just notice it and begin to see it for what it is, the Atman, yourself. That itself gives a great deal of peace and freedom. Tremendous freedom. There is, you will have a core which will always know it's alright. I pray by the grace of the Lord... That we may all have this insight in this very life itself. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanam Astur